Hey, this is Bob in the Don't Die Podcast, brought to you by Ohana Fest down in Dana Point, and brought to you by Live Nation, bringing you concerts all over the world. It all begins with getting off drugs, people. Let's go out and live life, get sober, get the right treatment for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck, and you are here, Chuck. Yes, I am. And you're not dying. <laughs> no. I, I refuse to be dying today too much, man. Ollie Wisdom hi, and Charlie Chuck, Watts. Hi, how are you? I know. That's the big news right there, man. Yeah. That's, for, that's young. 80 years old for somebody who has that much money. Seems like he could dump into. Oh, my God. My you know, money, that's, that's does not, money make you immortal? <laughs> well, yeah. You buy the best doctors. You go to France, get your blood changed. Of anyone go, we've ever known personally. Did did every anybody have more money than Kurt Cobain? I thought, I thought he he died. He died. Well, <laughs> he he wanted to hear the podcast. He had a lot obviously. of money. He had a lot of money. Obviously, he didn't get the he didn't get the memo that Mike <laughs> no. sent out. People with money don't die until they're well, at least oh, in their on. late. You know 80s. what I'm talking about? Dick Cheney's like fucking a titanium man. He's had so many things done to him. Well, know? he's he'll, a different. He'll be alive. Kind of... Yeah, he'll be alive forever. Probably Bill, yeah, Gates. Bill Gates will probably be alive together. Elon I, Musk you know will what? probably live forever. Things have become so politically crazy that I don't hate Dick Cheney as much as I used to. Because <laughs> Chuck, it's so true. Because every time somebody has died since the Bush-Cheney uh, presidency, since they left office, every time somebody cool died, I said, I would say, and but Dick Cheney's still alive? And now I'm just mm. like, Dick Dick Cheney's daughter's cool. He's he's fighting the good fight. I don't know. You know, it's George, crazy. It's crazy what's happened in this country politically, Chuck, in the last five years. It's, it's top fucking yeah. nuts. It's topsy turvy. <laughs> yeah. You know, remember when uh, George Bush Jr. sat with Junior? Just you know, <laughs> Mike. Either call him W or Bush Two. He's either Whatever. W or Junior to or me. Bush Two. The big guy got him in the chair. He's still junior to me. But remember when he when it was raining and he was putting the thing. I mean, every time the guy gets in front of a camera, it's funny. I don't care if it's a shoe thrown at him. A fucking yeah, he's flirting with <laughs> flirting with Michelle Obama. You know, he's just like he's a, the dude's a hilarious <laughs> dude. <laughs> yeah, it's, that was that was fun. I, but I it is true that I have said for years, and now all of a sudden. I don't know. My heart has softened for Dick Cheney. And and like, I don't think like, oh, and Dick Cheney's still alive. But obviously it hasn't softened for Mike because that's the first person Mike brought up. Was <laughs> it has not. I, I draw the line at Dick Cheney and Halliburton so, and the whole fucking so mess. So listen to this. So uh, Mike, you Chuck, you were, I'm sorry, I've been sick and I, it's been hard for the three of us to get together. But Mike and I did a podcast yesterday or day before. Was the day before it was Sunday, <laughs> Sunday. And I, Mike convinced me that I had COVID. I don't know if you know this or not. Right. <laughs> no. So Mike, it told uh, Chuck, me. And then, you Chrissy, know what I did? then Chrissy I believed it. Well, let me tell you something, Mike, Mark. God I went and got damn. tested today. I okay. got that thing shoved up my nose for 10 seconds yeah, on yeah, each yeah. side. I yeah. am negative. I do not have COVID. Oh, excellent. I'm just sick from this booster shot oh, and wow. being old. The other thing I'm old. Old people don't get around as good. Where did you get the test that goes immediately? Like uh, that you can get at my friend's lab in Irvine, California, which you're very close by there, Mike. Constantly, well, did it cost you, you? How much did it cost? No, you? it's a friend of mine's lab. She did it for free. Oh, okay. 
So can I go there with my kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah, we, we, just, we, just, we just started doing testing at my work all the time, and I, I don't have to do it because of the vaccination. But that's good you had a reaction, Bob. It means that you have a um, formidable immune system. Or does it mean I'm old and sickly and weak? No, the old, the old sickly people have less reaction. The people that are less oh, healthy really? have less reaction. Oh, you're just making me feel good. <laughs> I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely not. Uh, that's that's what I, uh, you know, I, I heard you, that from. Where my, did you get that, where did you right? that Oh, wait from? a second. Just is that stop. on Facebook? You guys wait a minute. Is that on so- Facebook, Chuck? i don't i don't get information from the internet like you guys i talk to people in the medical profession so it has kicked my ass today is day five and now remember i told you guys but i didn't tell the public when i got the second shot of moderna it kicked my ass too but let me tell you something and and i lied about it because i didn't want to discourage people from getting vaccinated now i'm just telling the truth i've decided chuck just to tell the truth and the fact is this was a fucking doozy. I was sick for three days, pretty much like I had the flu. And then now I'm, I get, I'm fine. And then like all of a sudden I get exhausted. I fell asleep face down that night that you guys, you and I, we were supposed to do the podcast. Christy couldn't wake me like I was dead or something. And, and I just get so exhausted wherever I am. I just lay down and go to sleep. Right. Well, the, from what I heard from a friend of mine who's a nurse, and that was exactly what he said, is that this stuff, it, your body reacts to it. This the re- reacts to the mRNA because it's designed to attack the spikes on the COVID. That's why it, it doesn't work on the, the body of the, the virus because that's going to be ever-changing. But the spikes stay the same. That's what's recognizable. And the stronger your immune system, the more your body reacts to the injection. So the people that didn't oh, get man. sick, but you God, might have had know. a reaction. I still be- don't believe it, but I'm <laughs> really happy you're saying this stuff. <laughs> sorry, I man. didn't get any information from sounds, the internet. I got it from a medical really professional. <laughs> it makes the spikes smaller? No, it's, not what it I said, latches Mike. on to the spikes that are on the top of the thing that's on the cell. You know, well, that's interesting, Chuck. 99% of the people I talk to don't even know what you're talking about. They, they, their life is, is destroyed or consumed or the, and people are killing themselves over something they just won't take an hour to try to understand. Do you know what I'm saying? Are you yeah. talking about me? No, not you. <laughs> <laughs> what, though you what? may be, wait a minute, though you may be friends with some of those people, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the, it, it is still something that is so much of a, it's not really a mystery. The, the idea that it's going to be around for a long time, but hopefully it just gets to a point where it's weakened enough. Like the Delta, the Delta run was was bad, man. It still is not good, and it, it's it's making people sick. But when I saw the numbers for the people in LA that were vaccinated that died from the Delta, it was like point zero 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 one three percent. Like yeah, it's of like the four deaths. people. Of the of the thousands and thousands of deaths, so it's so that it there is some it, it is effective from what we're seeing, but really um, we've got a uh, Amy has a a cousin who posted the numbers out of her hospital, so it wasn't through a news source, and it wasn't doesn't have to have a lean. It was actual people that came in, people that were 
that were positive and sent home, people that were positive and admitted, and people that were admitted that um, required ventilation, and people that were admitted that died. So it's like when you look at it that way, it's not it's not some host trying to bump up their numbers. It's the hospital keeping track for themselves. Well, maybe for some extra money, you know. But the idea of uh, it, it's it's just so multifaceted, and I do like what you said with that, where it's like one of those things where. People don't even understand what the vaccine is, how it works, because they think they're getting injected with a modified live virus or a killed virus like we used to do. And that's they not all what's do. happening. All, I would say nine out of 10 people that I talk to, they're all scared about it. Here's the interesting thing, Chuck. They're scared about it, but they eat McDonald's every day. I don't I don't get it. I don't <laughs> get how the mentality. They never question all the grain and all the foods. They never question the farmer subsidies that just stuff grain down our throats like a slob piston, you know, just <laughs> yeah. slobbing it in there because nobody wants grain, right? Did you, have, so, did you have French fries today for McDonald's, Bump? No, you I had no McDonald's today. I, I'm cutting it all out. I saw a picture. So, so Chrissy took a picture of me holding Idris a couple days ago, and my belly was so big, I was like, that is unacceptable. So I've been on a fast. So I ate cherries and grapes and lemon love uh master cleanse today that's all i've eaten it also makes me really kind of flighty and happy too to not eat you can't do the master cleanse and eat no <laughs> well i do i do the bob way the mild <laughs> <laughs> It has instructions. I'm doing the fucking lemonade. <laughs> I do no, I do the master cleanse uh kind of augmented by uh you're gonna love this by grapes, cherries, uh, and cotton candy grapes from uh, sprouts. So these <laughs> now, are genetically scary GMO grapes. Genetically <laughs> mutated to taste like cotton candy. But then, so this has been going on for two days since, yeah, Sunday when the picture was taken. I, and, and it was a side view. So no matter how hard I tried to crop myself out of it, you could just see how ginormous I was. So, so, yeah. so, so, I, so I've been doing fruit and the master cleanse stuff. But then last night I had some cinnamon gummy bears. God. Why? Why the sugar? <laughs> Dude, this sounds like sugar. the fuck, this sounds like the watermelon diet that you and Anthony went on. Yeah, the me watermelon. and Anthony. Oh, Chuck, you're gonna love this. So when we first met Mike, me and Anthony had a whole uh, kind of biological theory about drug use, and the thing was, I, I, and he had both been to hospitals for, you know, like uh, not ODing, but what you know, whatever. I've been to a hospital for. Like a OD kind of, and what they do, but yeah. what they do is they put you on saline. They just make you stand, sit in the hallway right. in a in a in a thing, mm. and take a bag of saline. So I'm not that dumb. I know it's just sugar water. So then we, he and I translated this that if in your active addiction of shooting speedballs for three or four days until you ran out of money, if you just only ate watermelon for like two days, that's, that's all like sugar a, water. It's like a banana bag. Yeah. It's like going to the hospital There's, and sure. it worked. But then <laughs> when I pointed it out to Dr. Drew years later, he said, how old were you guys? And I said, like 22. 
And he's like, it's because you were 22, not because of water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that would happen to me every once in a while with the, with the drinking. I'd end up at the hospital from dehydration. Because and they just give you one of those IV bags. It's yeah, sugar water. They'll hook you up and send you out. Drug addicts chose to do what they do, but no one gets mad at, at people that are yeah, I'm not even overweight. going down that road. I'm saying these people are now the very people that are questioning the most miraculous medicine ever created in our lifetime. Right? So, so when you go through the study of the Pfizer thing that, see, that the FDA just approved, it is proven, Chuck, and this is at, out of the actual documents of, of, that was turned in and approved. It is safer than aspirin. 300 Americans a year die from aspirin consumption. No one, <laughs> no one, not one, not one human being has died from the Pfizer vaccine. Yet these people are just nuts about it. I, I just, but I, I do believe the, the Delta variant is scaring the shit out of people. More people are going to get vaccinated that were like on the fence. I don't know how you can be on the fence with, not dying. I got, but I guess we're <laughs> on the fence too, right? Our whole show is the premise that we tell addicts you can die if you're on fentanyl, and they're kind of on the fence about it. Like, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. But we know, but we know their brains are fouled up because of the drugs. We know they can't think clearly. I mean, so guess they, what they, I found out? You know how there's this oh, this kind of uh, racist attitude towards Mexico, and Trump kind of fueled that fire, but it already existed. Guess yep. what? Guess what country has a higher vaccination rate percentage wise than America? Oh, don't don't even Mexico, say Mexico, <laughs> Mexico, Mexico. I'm just like, holy God, like everything that you think about America is wrong and backwards and twisted upside down. And 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 these people and there's going to be no convincing them of that. They'll probably say that's that's not true. No, it's actually true. It's in the WHO report. It's actually true. Mexico has a higher vaccination percentage rate than America. I wonder if they had any political splitting on the vaccine or the cause or anything like that to, to get in their way and keep them from being able to make a clear decision. Or well, do they have Facebook? I'm, sure I'm sure they have Facebook. I'm sure there's misinformation. <laughs> it's yeah, just but... Americans. Here's the thing. Americans are just so fucking gullible. They yeah. really are. What did P.T. Barnum say? Never underestimate the, the gullibility of the American public. I mean, he said that 120 years ago. Right. right. Oh, speaking of 100, this weird, this weird fact uh, came out the other day. And that was the difference between 1980, because I'm always talking about the 80s and how much I love the 80s. The difference between 1980 and 2021 is the same as the difference between 1980 and 1939. As far oh, as years. really? So when you think about from 1939 to 1980 was 41 years. So when I'm talking about 1980, that's like the difference between 1939 and 1980 is the same as 1980 to 2021. No wonder I'm out of touch. Well, no, but you know what I think when you say 1939, that was the year in the fall of that year when uh, FDR was given quantifiable evidence that the concentration camps existed. And he chose to kind of just stay out for another 18 months until Pearl Harbor was bombed. Huh. 
So yeah, same you know what shit. I mean? <laughs> same, same, yeah, nothing same changes. Shit. Nothing changes. <laughs> same shit. Eighty-two years. And later. I love FDR. <laughs> I understand. He was like, what, what? What the fuck are we gonna do? Can you imagine you know if they I mean? had Facebook and Instagram to compete with? <laughs> yeah. Some, well, back then, like four, you know, how many people knew about it? Maybe 12 high up in, in the Pentagon and FDR. <laughs> and they're all sitting at a table and they go, so, Mr. President, what do you want to do? And he's like, how about we do nothing? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, can you imagine that? that can you imagine getting away with that now? Oh no my way. God, that would never happen. And that was really when a president was a president before they sort of decentralized their powers and put everybody else, you know, to run the different departments and they just kind of put their stamp on stuff. I just uh, love that. How about we do nothing? <laughs> How, you know, I cannot imagine the hateful <laughs> posts that would have gone up. <laughs> my God, that guy oh wouldn't have been. That guy would not have had a moment's peace till the day he died. The, the South would have rose up against. Why are Look we at the, did our you see the newest thing? They're going after Bob Dylan. They're, they're going. Uh, Bob Dylan yeah. apparently molested a girl in, in, in 1965. Mike, is yep. it? Yep, 65. Uh, a long ass time ago. Yep, two years I mean, before I was born, and I'm old. And uh, uh, that's just, I, you know, what do you, you know? Is, here's the thing: they they filed that that case just before this 50 year the, yeah the um, day before yeah the day before they got it in just just under just the wire we're living in some insane times what was okay in the 60s and 70s wouldn't have been okay in the 80s the girl is 12 years old there is no decade ever in america that that is okay yeah but we don't even know that it happened well that's that's the truth and and we were told i don't know three or four years ago that we could never make say that question we could never make that statement so now everybody's, you know, just mums a word. Uh, I talked to a friend today and he said, what do you think is going to happen with the Dylan stuff? And I said, I don't know. It seems to be, it seems to be like, I, it took my breath away when I, I woke up uh, that morning and it was on my phone and I was, I just, I had to sit up. I it was, I was stunned. Right. And mm -hmm. I read what, what was in the little bit that was in the news and then I followed it up and then it was a couple of days and everybody started talking about it. Then it just kind of like nothing. It's not, it doesn't seem to be building speed the way that the Louis CK thing did or the, and I, and I do not put, I do not put Harvey Weinstein in this category. That guy is a fucking monstrous rapist, but Louis CK and all the things that came afterwards, Ryan Adams that that's this category it, it seems like like uh and what you said and you're never supposed to be able to question anything right don't don't blame the victim that's not victim blaming if if i don't say we're not sure it happened it's not blaming the victim so get this so i i did this kind of thing with my own memory right because the the victim is probably a little bit older than me i was born in 61 so the victim was 12 and 65 so they're like uh, eight, seven years older than me. So at my age, six years old, with my memory, I tried to remember when I was 12, where, what kind of car did we have? Where, where, what grade was my sister in? Just little facts of when I was 12. I was 12 in 1973. In February of 1973, I turned 12. 
So did anything traumatic happen? Yeah, everything traumatic stuff's always happening. My parents were alcoholic, Chuck. Jesus. <laughs> well, you probably remember <laughs> those things. You probably remember the trauma. That's what I'm saying. Remember, trauma makes it easier to recall. My sister had an abortion before Roe v. Wade, right? Um, and it went terribly wrong. And she was home at our house, bleeding everywhere. And this is what's had an impact on me about Roe v. Wade. Like, you know, I, I try to stay out of, of, of other people's business. I don't think it's the right of a man to tell a woman what to do. But I have a visceral, traumatic remembrance of my sister going to a, a motel and getting an abortion with a doctor and a nurse. It went terribly wrong. She came home. She was bleeding everywhere. It was the first time. I knew that women bled and my mom was up in arms. My dad was staying in the other part of the house. It was just chaos. And I went to my sister and I said, are you okay? And she was crying and she said, Bobby, I'm okay. And I was like, but you're bleeding. And she was like, I'm okay, Bobby. And, and, and I just remember that. Right. Mm -hmm. And what came from that is she was, she ended up being um, sterile from that. Right. Which led to, you know, just a lot of pain and suffering in her life. And so every right. time somebody says, you got to get rid of Roe v. Wade, I think of my sister in those two days when she was bleeding and my dad was all mad and she had gone to a motel by herself to get an abortion with these two strangers. She didn't even know. I mean, think about that. Is that what we want to go back to? Yeah. Back alley, back alley style abortions. That's what they, you know, they call them. That whole back alley comment, it was in motels. Uh, the idea is, is that it's not, you know, it's not right. and It's not in the doctor's office and the, the safety isn't there. No, I'm just saying about my, about your memory when you're 12, because this person is now recalling things. I know a couple of victims that have come forward in this, right? I don't want to get into detail, but really the media just uses them and then throws them away after the news cycle. <laughs> they right. really do. You think the New York Times cares about those women that are the accusers of Louis C.K.? Don't give a fuck about those women. Nope. They're just used in that news cycle. And there's so much attention that the New York Times staff give those women while the story is being written and while it's coming out, then follow up and all the, all the clicks and all the clicks and all the clicks. And then, just, and then it just goes away like that woman with Kavanaugh. Then it just goes away. That woman with Kavanaugh was the most watched human being on the face of the earth for like five days. And the fact and then, I don't know her name. You don't huh? know her name. We don't, we don't, know her even, name. Know, we don't even know it, her name. It's so fucked up. I, I just don't know what's driving this and what the what justice is and what they're trying to get. And Mike's pointing out they're trying to get money. Yeah, she is suing civilly. So I, I imagine that leads to money but that also tells me that the the dylan world knew about this and and wouldn't pay right that's where the civil lawsuits and all these accusations and very little evidence that's where it does seem like what mike's suggesting which is like it's kind of like blackmail like yeah pay me and i'll not say anything don't pay me and your life is going to be ruined it's kind of weird it's a, it's I don't know what we're trying to, I don't know what we're trying to achieve. I, I want us to get wherever a more positive relationships and respectful society, but I don't see that. I don't see any evidence of that. I see things have gotten a million times worse in the last five years. So, <laughs> so it's just some strange times, but Charlie Watts dying makes me think, you know, the dominoes that are coming. 
and well, yeah. you know, like it's just it's kind of crazy. And, and that, they're all up there in age for living the lives that most of the musical heroes have. The fact that they make it to eighty is crazy to can me. Can you guys? Can you guys hear Peppa barking? The bear is out here. Oh my god! Oh no! Oh my god! Why does a dog bark at a bear? You ever think of that? If, yeah. I, if, I if I was a dog, a dog I'd, I'd want to be very up. quiet around a bear. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd be hiding. <laughs> <laughs> I'd throw a little human outside. He could say, hide. come over here, motherfucker. Eat me. Come over here and fucking swat me in the head. <laughs> so, so, but anyways, I just, I, you know, like, because I've known, and it's ironic, I've known, you know, Keith Richards, my all-time idol, I, you know, I wore Keith Richards shirt today. I had yesterday, I wore a shirt that says who, who in the fuck is, who the fuck is Mick Jagger? You ever seen Keith Richards have that shirt? <laughs> yeah. I was wearing that shirt yesterday, not knowing Charlie was dying. And then today I wore a Keith Richards shirt. So Keith Richards has always been my guy. And it's, I think it's Mike's guy too. Since I was probably 15, like Keith Richards, dude, Keith Richards. And then I realized if Charlie's dying. Someday Keith Richards is going to die. And am I going to be alive then? Or is he going to, is he going to outlive me? That's even crazier. Yeah. The, the idea that anybody that's, you know, 20 years older than us would outlive us when they did the same stuff. You know what I mean? It's not like they're immune and uh, it, it is going to be a bummer because the ones that died early are, are the shocking ones. Like when, like Tom Petty went out too soon, even though he was, that over, you know, and, that didn't and shock Prince me. And, yeah, how long it had it been since you saw Tom Petty? I told Chrissy when we were walking out of the Pasadena show that he did at the Rose Bowl, I was like, there's something up with him. He does not look good, right? He, he looked really so thin, so frail. And Tom Petty was never like a, he was always a thin guy, but he never seemed frail. And at the last show I saw him about eight months before he passed away, he looked so frail. And, you know, and ironically, then uh, uh, I think before that, before that, I had gone to the forum to see the Eddie Vedder, uh, Chris Cornell band. What was that called? Uh, where uh, they made one record. It was Temple of the Dog. Temple of the Dog. So Temple of the Dog played the forum. And I was in like the forum club and that Chris, and Chris Cornell was there. And I just looked at him. and I was like. There's no way a 50-year-old man can be that thin. There's just no way. Mm -hmm. Something's up with him. And I said to his good friend, I said, is he all right? And he said, yay, he could use it talking to you. And I was like, oh, my God, not, not. And why am I always the one that has to talk to people? <laughs> Shouldn't their best friend talk to him, Chuck? Yeah, it's like some stranger's going to walk up like, hey, I met you in 1987. I just wanted to sit down and talk about, you look like you're on drugs. Like, why, is I, why am I always the guy that's got to do that? Chuck, are you with me? I, 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 I get are you it more that than guy you in your circle of friends? Are you that guy? I am that guy. Yeah, Isn't I am it that the fuckedest position to be in? I'm just trying to see a concert. And he, you know, he looks like, you know, maybe he needs a friend. You know, yeah. I'm not the friend. I don't even know the guy. <laughs> like, no, I, I'm happy to coach somebody on what they should probably talk about. But I don't like, you know, because you have to sit down and you got to get so much background to be able to be effective with people. You got to hear them first. And they already know them. I go, you know what? Just tell them that you're worried about them and ask them what's going on. Talk to them. 
And then ironically, people I do know that that I would approach, they avoid me like the fucking plague. Right. I've seen people like (laughs) I'm talking about other musicians. Right. Yeah. I walked into the I walked into wherever it was. It was a palladium. I was in one. The palladium's dressing rooms are really small. And I was in one talking to somebody. And then I was you kind of stand in the hall to talk because it's so it's so small there. Stand in the hall and I look in the room and I see a guy I know that's just fucked up out of his mind. And he saw me and I was talking to somebody else and my I was gonna beeline right to him, right? He wasn't playing the concert that night, he was just there. And I when I'm talking, I'm wrapping up a conversation. I literally looked at him and I was like, holy fuck, I need to take him outside and talk. And I'm talking to this guy, guy, guy. And I say, okay, well, I'll see you after or whatever. And then I go to turn to go right 10 feet away where the guy was standing and he's fucking gone. <laughs> so then I walk in that room and he's friends with the band that was playing. I go, where's so-and-so? And they go, he saw you and he fucking beeline. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to hear so, <laughs> so I can't help. I can't help people I don't know. The, fa- the family members and friends and the people around that person, yes, need to be guided by somebody, helped by somebody to help that person help themselves. You can't get somebody else to do it for you, right? That's one rule. Second rule is you can't really help your closest friends because they're just like, it's just too... It's too intimate. Like I was able to help Pashante, but but he was he was willing. He was ready. You know what I mean? If I would have gone yeah. to him five years before, he would have been fuck you, get out of my house. I've right. I've had that experience. I've had that where you just go bum rush yeah. someone's house and they're like <laughs> the person like we went we went to Matt Dyke's house, this guy I loved so much, and he was just so fucked up for so long. And we go over to his house and he 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 opened the little viewfinder. He had this door that had like a metal grate on it and the little tiny, like one foot door open. And we were all four. <laughs> I was trying to think is Matt, me, Rick. Uh, it was five of us standing on his porch and he goes, what the fuck do you guys want? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he knew exactly what we wanted. Mike Mart. He knew exactly. Uh, yeah. You yeah. were after him. You were after <laughs> We him. were after him. You were the enemy. And, he was avoiding the enemy. Another time, me and Anthony broke into his house and we're going through there yelling for him and whatever. And years later, he told me I was hiding behind the curtain in the bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't know. In plain sight, he, really. Yeah, right behind the curtain. Well, he had these blackout curtains. You couldn't see through them. But, uh, but, but so anyways, I've had... It's not the easiest thing to help your best friend or help your family member or help or help somebody that you're all codependent with. That that's that's a difficult thing. So then who who you know what I'm saying, Chuck? You couldn't help your own kids. I could help them a little bit more better than you could. Yeah. Um, and so what what is that? That that you can't you know, be too close and you can't be too far away. You gotta be just right in order to help you know people. I but anytime I go anywhere, there's always, it doesn't matter if it's Alex's, if it's Fitzgerald's, if it's Gallagher's, any of the local pubs, bars, Tiki Bar, wherever I go to see bands, there's always a couple people that come up to me during the night and they tell me how, the, how much less they're drinking now and how they're not doing right. this and how they're not doing that. And I go, I don't care, man. But if you try to stop and find that you can't, give me a call. We'll, we'll go to some meetings. 
we'll do something. I, I mean, other than that, I mean, I think family, the people that mean the most to someone. Let's are, face they, it. The people that are supplying the comfortability for the addict, whoever's supplying the cell phone and the lovely pillow to rest their head and their drug money and their health insurance. And that, you know what I mean? That person has the most power. Yeah. That's what I believe. 100%. That's why I, I love talking to the parents and getting the parents involved. So do you say, here's an interesting thing, because I started this a long time ago. So I say you should cut them off completely. Just let him fucking let it roll. This is before fentanyl, by the way. I've kind of altered my theory now with fentanyl. Right. So we have to. We have, you to. have to. You have to. But this is like 20 years ago. I said, let it roll. And the dad goes, well, are you, you know, you're talking about like cancel his health insurance. And I was like, Nope, no, I'm not talking about that. Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, get yourself a and PTO. The dad, said, the dad said the health insurance is, is equals everything else that we pay for the cell phone, gas, once in a while, food card, whatever. His health insurance is like 500 bucks. And, you know, they gave him an $80 food card once a week or and they paid his $50 cell phone bill. So he was like, why not the health insurance? And I was like, cause then I can't help him. <laughs> right. Because it costs money to run truth. a business. That was the yeah. honest truth. Right? right. And then comes the conversation. Uh, should drug treatment be free? I think you'll get what you pay for, for sure. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> this, this conversation comes up all the time, but you, you guys know it was, it was a different time and we have to be able to um, change tactics, just like things. You have, to, you have to, you have to, you have to, you have to evolve. And that's one of the problems I've had with AA. I mean, AA right. hasn't evolved at all. Right. Um, and that, that's why great, it will die on the vine if it doesn't. If, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it's just kind of like a, a, a cult and everybody sees what they want to see. Like I, what I like is that everybody's together. Now what's broken down over the last 10 years is what is sobriety? That's that, <laughs> that is an existential question, right? <laughs> right. Uh, it, 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 it really is becoming a question of what is sobriety? One of the original criteria of, uh, alcoholics anonymous was that if you just didn't drink booze, you were sober. You could take mm. mother's little helper. You could take little uppers and downers. And NA stuff. was, yeah, but go back to your history book about NA. You could drink yeah. and be an NA. Oh yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. You could. You were clean, and, you were clean, but you weren't sober. <laughs> but that's only because, you know, people didn't know the difference. It wasn't because they were willfully stupid. Well, I'm saying that it's always been, it's always been this gray line that people love to fucking make grayer. Just blur the line and fucking confuse. The treatment centers have made it grayer. Are you sober if you're on Suboxone as prescribed? Just both of you answer that question for me. Well, no, I don't want to answer that question <laughs> <laughs> because it hurts. You know, I think it hurts people that might die without it right now. That's the only reason. I think it puts people at risk. But I got a great solution. They already hate AA. Don't go. Just be on your Suboxone, get a job and be like everybody else. They don't. Right. You don't need psycho support network if you're taking the 12 milligrams of methadone. You if, don't. Yeah, if, right. If, if you're, you're taking, if you're taking 
you know, eight milligrams of Suboxone every day. You don't need to go to Psycho Support Network. You don't. No. I, I just don't think you right. do. I don't think the, you do. That's not how, yeah, yeah, that's not how dopamine works. You know, the idea, the idea of getting the, the here and now chemicals and um, getting, using less of the desired dopamine, it doesn't work when you stay on drugs. And that well, is staying I, on drugs. I'm saying that uh, my experience in early sobriety, and I consider early sobriety the first four or five years, not just the first four or five months. The first five years, if I had a bad day, if I was in a bad mood, if I was suicidal, if I was ready to give up, if I was depressed, if I was anxious, if I went to a meeting, my mood, my mood state changed and was influenced by the meeting. Right. Now, and I used to be fast, just fascinated by that fact. How yeah, can I, mean, I be, yeah, the, if I'm right. sitting yeah. at home at six o'clock and I know I'm supposed to go to seven 30 to tropical and I don't want to go, I had a shitty day. I got a shitty life. I fucking hate myself and I want to die. But I started <laughs> doing what buddy Arnold and Gloria Scott told me to do, which is just go anyways, regardless of what your brain tells you, just go. And I swear to God by nine o'clock, I felt differently. Yeah, I don't think you can have that experience while you're an, on Suboxone. I don't think you can. I don't think you can do it while you're anesthetized. And I think you're I don't think you can. I, so I, that's, I, the, that's the only real value AA had to me. I hate everything they fucking say. It was just that it had this positive influence. It never made me feel worse. It made me angry, but that's not necessarily worse. Right. Self-pity, right. self-obsession, depression. That's what I'm battling. And if I get right. angry and want to argue with somebody about God or the steps, that's a positive step. That's a step in a positive <laughs> right. direction. Right. right? But Your a lot of times focused. I just yep. felt good. And then, and then, you know, to go out with your two best buddies like Dave and Anthony and go eat afterwards, it was just so great. It changed how I felt at six o'clock. If I'm on Suboxone, I know it doesn't. I oh, know it yeah. doesn't. No, that, that's what I, that's what I, that, and I'll that tell I you why. I'll tell you why, because the people you go to dinner with afterwards don't approve of Suboxone. So you got to lie or feel ashamed or argue that it's your doctor and it's nobody's business. You're in this, you're in this negative space, this negative state going into an abstinence-based 12-step support group and taking a mind-altering substance. You're going to have nothing but conflict within yourself if you have two brain cells, but also with, uh, with your peers, right? Because right. well, unless, unless you just have the strongest sense of self that if somebody says, you're not sober, you're on Suboxone, you say, no, I'm sober, fuck you. And you really, <laughs> truly are settled internally. But that's not the experience I've had with thousands no. of people on Suboxone. They go, fuck that guy. Fuck this. I'm never coming back here. Fuck that. I might as well get loaded. Fuck you, Bob. Fuck AA. That, and, I've had and, that I, happen a hundred times. I right. swear to God. And that's not, a, that's not even a sober mindset. We, 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 you know, that's what I think they're missing out on. They don't get the feel goods that come with being sober either because they're anesthetized, right? They don't get to feel the ups and the downs and that excitement or wanting to whatever. They, they work on a totally different level. Uh, it, so so what is, let's go through the opiate withdrawal, not, not fentanyl. Let's keep that out. Let's keep synthetic opiates out. Heroin withdrawal. 
I'm on day five. I just, I just, a whole chill and sweatiness came over me just now, just, just in the last 90 seconds. Right. So I was feeling pretty good. Now all of a sudden I feel that, right. This is the flu. This is what dope sickness is. I'm not as bad as I was yesterday. I'm five days out. Day three was the worst. Sunday was the worst. Right. Okay. I didn't know, you know, but I, but I didn't have my mind gnawing at me, Bob, if you do heroin, you won't feel like this. I just <laughs> knew I need to count the days. I need to get to a certain day. And initially I remembered I was only sick for like two days, felt better on the third day when I did this, the, the second shot. Right. So on day two, when I was feeling shitty on Saturday, I was like, well, I'm going to feel better tomorrow. And then when I felt way worse the next day, I was like, well, this sucks. This fucking sucks. But I'm going to feel better tomorrow, probably, or the next day. I got to feel better. And then Mike's the one that threw it in. Maybe you have COVID. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> right? But I'm sweating profusely right now, just like if, as if I'm kicking dope out of nowhere. What, what? What this, what this vaccine does to your immune system and creates in you is very similar to dope sickness, is it not? We had this conversation yesterday, Chuck, that the people that are not former heroin addicts don't know what it's like to go through five days withdrawal every month. Periodically, you end up with no dope somewhere kicking and you feel like shit just like just like Mm -hmm. i do right it's the worst pain you've ever been in and and we're so i mean we're so grateful to not have to do that every day when we get you know but do you really think it's the worst pain you've ever been in uh it was at the time i got my finger cut off i I, I I was i was there when mike had endocarditis that was the worst pain he had ever been yeah i thought i was dying actually yeah i thought i was not gonna make it (laughs) it's we work it up in our heads so much that man, I've I've been sick kicking. Maybe you weren't shooting enough dope. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe here, that's a that's an old junkie braggart. So I know. So I, that Mike is so and weird. I, Chuck, Mike and so I did so me. much dope. We were so much sicker than you when we were dope sick, <laughs> I'm bro. Gonna out bottom Chuck, bro. Dope, I'm gonna dope. out dope sick you. I'm gonna out dope sick you. That's how sick junkies are. I know, yeah, I, I know. got way sicker I, I, than you I've heard ever trip on it, Chuck. I, 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 I hear it every Chuck, day. Hold on. I spilled more dope sickness than you fucking. <laughs> Chuck, don't take it so don't get all bent out of shape. Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, I'm angry. Chuck, it be, in all fairness, it was 30 fucking years, you know, 28 years ago for me. You know what I mean? But I never want to forget the condition I was in. And that's the first rule that I fucking carry with me wherever I go. I never ever well, want to forget the condition that I was in when I came into AA. I was sick and and yes, it was the worst. All I'm saying is that AA and NA are not the end all and be all of human existence. So, so, so these millions of addicts came out of nowhere in America in the last 10 years, literally went from 3% of the population to almost 20% of the population in two decades. Not all of them have to go to AA and NA. If you're going to be on Suboxone, don't go to NA and AA. Just be on Suboxone and get a job and be a dad and do whatever. But get a be job. A mom. But get but a job. Get, go do yeah, something. Yeah, but get on with life. Right. Right? 
that I really truly believe that. I truly believe it's just kind of, I don't know, why go through all the uh, torment of being, of feeling guilty and whatever? And people go to AA to stay sober. People go to NA to stay clean. If right. you're not going to stay sober and clean, why go? My, on my hand, I can count five people I know that are on Suboxone with a job. They're not taking fentanyl anymore, which means they're not going to die. Yeah, they're taking fine. a much lesser, what is this? Why, lesser why, critically. The point I'm trying to make is why does everybody think AA is above normal society? I think it's below normal society. Well, who thinks it's, it's above? A, who thinks it's everybody above? Everybody that's in it that has time always think, of, oh, yeah, we're living a spiritual life and an unspiritual blah, blah, blah. Uh, no, 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 you're not. I'm, I'm no, in you're AA. Not. I don't you're still, think that. But, but thousands, of, thousands of people that I know do. They think it's a, we're above, we're better than society because we're whatever we are. I don't think because, of it that because way. we couldn't control our drinking and using. <laughs> How does that make us any better? It makes us <laughs> the, the lowest of the low. We're people. <laughs> that might be a symptom of just being new in the program and stuff, and and outgrowing that whole uh, superiority and looking down on people. That that yeah. happens when that happens when you're you know a couple of years sober and you're three or four or five. Best. Oh, but, ask, know, when I was five, I knew everything. Yeah, so here's, but here's but here's but here's, here's how I look at right. it. here's how I look at it. each individual I know that's sober is a miracle because I knew them when they were high for for the most part majority of them it's it's amazing what their lives have become it's amazing but why go to all the trouble just to have an amazing normal life. <laughs> Come on! What the fuck? Oh, that that took a weird turn. You know, yeah. No, why? why you've got to admit that you could have had that life in a straight line if you weren't such an idiot and got on drugs and drunk all the time. That is some kind of Bob Forrest twisted. No, I'm out. telling you. Fuck it. Why no, even bother? You should not. Bother? You should, but what, what I always think, I, I'm not saying it's not. I'm not saying it's not amazing for people like myself and the three of us to turn our lives around. But I don't think it's something to brag about. I really don't. I really don't. I think it's something to be kind of embarrassed about. I'm not going to hide behind anything. I love my complete abstinence from drugs and alcohol. I'm proud right. of it. I don't brag about it. But you know what? It's not for everybody. You I just said you got. Put, it's been 30 years since you had a drug. That's kind of bragging. No, I'm proud of it, Bob. I'll never be not proud of being completely why sober. Why does it matter you know how what? long it's we haven't taken drugs? Bob, how it's long, not why for does it everyone. Matter? No, but I'm, I'm concerned with that thing. Why does it matter how long we haven't taken drugs for? I like when people like there's a big viewer of our podcast who loves this podcast. I've asked him through the decades, like how much time you have. He always says, oh, I don't know what year. What year is it? How, how long sober are you? He doesn't keep track of it that much. It's not his ego isn't tied to how long he hasn't taken drugs. And I respect that. You can. He's, and that's not to suggest he's going to go use like everybody in AA says, if you don't take, keep track of every second you haven't taken drugs, you're, you're going in the wrong direction. No, it just is not a top priority to him. Being a, being a dad, being a, I don't think being a businessman. But if somebody uses again, I don't think they've blown everything. I don't think they've lost everything that they've, they've learned. But for me to drink and use, my value of life is so shitty, is so poor that I don't care if I live or die. But, you, you said, but I, I now we're going to get in that. a real argument because you don't know that. You're projecting that. 
You're no, saying I'm the same. Like- no, you're saying the, I'm the same person I was 25 years ago, and you're not. I know. That's, how do I you did, know that this person just, doesn't know exactly his, his sober date? That he knows exactly how long he's been sober. Oh, now Mike's, 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 Mike knows who it is, Chuck, and he's trying to zero in. He doesn't yeah. want to. You just, you know, act like, uh, oh yeah, it's like a big deal or whatever. It's just fine. It's you know, it's fun. Yeah, we talk amongst each other, and and really, when we get this age, we don't. Who cares how fucking old we are? One one day, five years, two, 30 years. We're all just in the same boat, and the water's on fire. It's not a lot different than mentioning how old. Yeah, how old someone is. Like I'm this age. It's uh, to me, it's no different than saying I every time I've had to pick up for I this speak, long. Every time I speak, I do the exact same thing. I say, let me give you the stats. I am 60 years old. I am 26 years sober. Uh, Bragger. 20, right? No, <laughs> but, but, no because, uh, well, well, all right. Uh, but I'll tell you why. Because every time a speaker spoke when I was new in my first five years, I was. I spent so much time trying to trying to figure out those details. How old are they? How old did that? Were they when they got sober? How long have they been sober? That type of thing. The the math of the sobriety, and that always has been my thing. Like I'm this. I and so and the joke is. So if you can do math, if you take twenty five minus sixty, I got sober when I was thirty five. I started trying to get sober when I was twenty one. And the reason why I have that message is it's important because everyone who's new in that room has tried before. Yep. There's very few people. This is the first day I mean they've ever been to, and this is the first day they've ever tried to be sober. It's mostly people that are getting discouraged. They've been trying for years to get sober. And that's uh-huh. my whole message is like, listen, I went to my first day. I mean, I had my first 30 day chip when I was 21 years old. I did not get sober till I was 35. That is 14 fucking years of misery. Yeah. Right? So if you're struggling and you're beating yourself up, or if you're beating yourself up, or this is your 10th rehab, fuck it. This might be the one. This might be the one. You're proud of those 26 years. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you could change your whole spiel to like, I'm 61 years old and I've been sober quite a long time and I've had a few ups and downs. Yeah, that's yeah. but then people, people are going to go, what is that, 30 years? What is that, 25 <laughs> years? Uh, no, because- you know, no, I have experience with that. You want to know? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to release an AA secret that nobody knows right now, Chuck. Mind. Are you ready? Are you going to blow my Okay, we're going behind the curtain. A mentor of mine started saying that. Whereas for years, he always said his sobriety date, and he always said how many years. He started being vague about it. I noticed his behavior changing. I confronted him, (laughs) and I said, what is your sobriety date? It's just me and him in the office. I said, what's your sobriety date? And he goes, ah, shut up now. Come on, what are you doing? You know, none of your business. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to say who it is, but I think everybody oh, knows God, Jim, that impression. And he said, <laughs> he said, I, yeah, I slipped up. And I go, well, you know why we confess our slipping up? And he goes, oh, now, now you're going to tell me shit? What the, get out of my fucking office. And I said, you know, I started backing up because he was walking me out of his office. And I said, we, we we own up to slipping up so that it doesn't kill us right right hmm. and and that 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 was this guy was on 2020 as a beacon of sobriety 
mm-hmm. right? And this man started a program that saved thousands, thousands of, of people's yeah. lives. But yet he was so tied to that number mm-hmm. that that it was hard for him. In the end, he did start talking about it, but it took it took a long time for him uh, to get comfortable. I always with it. wondered about this story. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah and so good and good for him. I just, I just yeah. had a friend go through that where they were so worried because people put so much value on the days or the years and not the days. And that's not what it is. Well, what you can want, tell yourself if you're a guru, sobriety. but if you're a guru, you can tell yourself, Hey, you know, it's going to hurt a lot of people. Right. Bob Timmons felt that way. I was like, nobody gives a fuck. I, no. I really truly yeah. believe that people in AA think, think that other people think too much about them they really <laughs> <Yeah>. don't <laughs> yeah like, no, that's, 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 that's my favorite bob old Forrest time thing. boy i wonder how <laughs> bob's doing today i wonder how mike mark's doing today <laughs> yeah they, they worry about themselves <laughs> no, nobody gives like 99 percent of the day is spent in self but our brain kicks in i can't tell anybody because they're all going to judge me or they're all going to be disappointed or they're going to use or whatever and that's why we have tenants of you know being honest and kind and 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 forthright all these kind of ideas that are more important than how long you've been sober they're more important than the steps the concepts right exactly. they're more important and like every religion the details have become the important thing and the truth is really not, it's kind of like whatever, right? Well, I, re- I relate it to Christianity. If you read Sermon on the Mount by Emmett Fox and the words that Jesus said, there's no way you can justify American Christianity. There is no way, right? Mm. Because they're focused on the rules and the details and they're missing the message, and I'm telling you, there's a lot of parts of the of the 12 step world that I go to in Southern California. So it's pretty much pretty. It's better in other parts of the country, but in Southern California, it's gotten so perverted and so weird and so opinionated and so divisive and so this and so that that it's missing the message. I stay sober. I try to help another alcoholic to achieve sobriety. That's my only purpose. It's That's not it. to become a better person or be, have everyone idolize me or look up to me or big things that I say that get repeated and, and why I started this conversation. Nobody gives a fuck in the real world. In the real world, nobody gives a fuck that you're a big shot in AA. Nobody. <laughs> Literally fucking nobody. No, it's like being the world. It does not midget. translate <laughs> at all. Yeah. And, you know, there's so many people, Bob, that just don't know how to live outside of the world of AA. That's what really was a turnoff for me as far as staying in the rooms every day of the week, seven days a week, you know, always doing this, being so dedicated was because they don't know how to live in the outside world. I knew one guy and I won't mention his name, but he died of alcoholism. You know, I mean, he kept, he had lots of time. Everybody loved him, but he just did not know how to live outside of the walls of AA. You have to take what you learn in here and and take it and live in the real world. Well, you know what it says? This is a design is what the big book says. 
I love quoting the big book, Chuck. I'm a big book thumper. I, I had thump, no idea. I just thump different parts of the yeah. book. I I thump parts. No one's ever even. They have <laughs> oh, to go come look on. it you're, up. You're to, an AA I, heretic. I'm a I'm an <laughs> AA big book thumper. I know. But I thump a different part of the book so much I'll so that the big the book thumpers have confronted me and said it doesn't say that in the book, and I have to go tell them on what page it is. For one thing, we meet on a regular basis so the new person can come and talk about their problem. Right. That's yes. why we meet. We meet on a regular basis so the new person can come and talk about their problems. I fought every fucking AA meeting, including Log Cabin, that says newcomers can't speak. Oh what the my fuck God. is that? You are so fucking right, Bob. It's mm. bullshit. Don't speak but for the first 60 the, days. Jesus it's the Christ. standard. At, it was the standard at Log Cabin for years. And I used to say, it's bullshit. We, exactly. we meet on a regular basis so the new person can come and talk about their problem. If you don't want to hear new people talk about problems, don't come to AA. Exactly. Right? That's oh my God. So that's, that's yeah. one Perfect. thing. But, the, but the, really the part that, that my sponsor suggested to me, it's time to live in the real world. It said, this book is a design for living, a bridge back to the real world. Nice. And he had me study it. It's, it's a, a guy that had less time than me that I, I just respect so much. And he said, what does that mean, Bob? We did, you know, read chapters and what does it mean? And I was like, holy fuck. And he goes, do you, what do you think it means? And I said, it, it means AA is not the real world. Yeah. If you have to have a bridge back to back the real to world, AA <laughs> is not the real world, dude. Right. That's, that's, awesome. like, that's perfect. That's, so that's like awesome. restore us to so sanity. It doesn't then, say was, you're crazy. That yeah. was when I was about eight or nine years sober. And since then, I always do this thing where if somebody compliments me on my how I carry myself or how I handle a situation or whatever, this mostly at work, happens at work a lot. They're like, how come you're always the calmest under situations like this? It just happened when we had the death of the, of the, the terrible tragedy. And I said, AA. AA has taught me how to have dignity. AA has taught me how to live grace under pressure. It hasn't, it hasn't gotten the opinionated asshole every day me out of me, but it really <laughs> has taught me how to walk through life not fearful, not catastrophizing not overreacting to stressful situations that's probably when i'm at my best like i was the calmest one i was like we need to do this this and this and then when something came up i said no stop that right away that can't happen that'll come back to haunt us i was just calm i just knew like you know i accept what's happened and we just gotta be transparent and forthright and fucking deal with what what's coming and most of all we should think about this young lady's parents Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's right. not the reaction of a lot of rehab owners. I can tell you when they had gone through that, the well, parents of the parents of the kid are the last people they're thinking of. I love the way you, you pulled that back around into a totally different arena where that's what I think I've learned things about real life and I don't have to spend every day. And that's why sitting in an Alano club and beating my chest and saying how long I have sober is not I didn't want long-term sobriety. That wasn't my goal. I just wanted, I just didn't want to keep living the way I was living because I was going to die and it was miserable. You know, it wasn't even about, I didn't want to be you somebody. You didn't get to the point, you didn't get to the point where you were really, I got, so I was in that state for probably five years. I, I really was in that state. You're saying, I knew I was going to die. I was suffering. 
I wanted to change, but still I couldn't. It wasn't right. until I realized that I wasn't going to die. I was just going <laughs> to suffer and be pathetic and everybody make fun of me. And like, just, I, it was just going to go on forever. Chuck like that. Yeah. Fucking ever. Wow. <laughs> you know, that's that, the police I, from the moment on my behalf. <laughs> I had that I, from the moment I had that experience. It, it was probably six, two months before I got sober. It was just like, Oh my God, I'm not going to die. Cause here's what had happened. I'll just tell you the details. Matt, we were, we were hitting rock bottom, like dead in the water, no money, no car, no nothing. And Max was really sick. And Jill, who's the famous Max Jill called in the song on the bicycle thief record, Jill and, um, Oh, I forget who else was there. Um, came and got her and took her to a hospital because she was very sick um, from, you know, the liver disease and stuff like that. And, uh, and they went, they took her and I was living in the motel on sixth street, right across from Bonnie Bray, six and Bonnie Bray. And I had two more days left in that room. And I had a black and white TV that wouldn't unscramble. You kind of, you could watch it and then, it, you know, like it would fade up, you know, like that thing. <laughs> yeah, and you're just constantly so trying cool. to do that vertical hold yeah. and it just won't. <laughs> you get it locked in and then you go back to your bed and it just like starts slipping up again. <laughs> oh my God. And no money. And I'm on methadone at the, at the methadone clinic on Alexis. It was Joan Alexis came. Alexis, a friend of Mike's and I's. And, uh, and I was on the uh, methadone program and it really, I didn't sleep those whole two days until I had to move my shit out and get out of there. And I was like, this is just how it's going to be. She's either going to die or get sober. I'm going to be left behind. And I'm just, I'm going to become one of these people living in MacArthur park. And that's what happened. That, yeah, that reality dude. of like, no, I'm not going to die. Some Jim Morrison, glorious death. I'm way beyond that now. <laughs> you missed that window (laughs) it's just this kind of life here on out (laughs) and just pathetic looks like look at that fool yeah well yeah and then i had already gone through the humiliation of all all that but it was just going to be you know kind of macarthur park and trying to come up with a 20 dollar hustle and methadone and you know it was just kind of going to be that like, I didn't see, I think I'd ever see Mike again or Anthony and flea or Louie or all uh, like or Keith. I was just like, they were living in an alternate universe and I was never going back there. And I was just going to live in this drug infested misery. Was that when Billy Preston lived in the MacArthur park? He lived in MacArthur park for a while, right? Yeah. There was a lot of people came and went. Scott Weiland was down there with me for a few days. He was just really? slumming, though. He was just yeah. slumming. <laughs> <laughs> just cruising through. But that was a great couple of days, Chuck, I got to tell mm-hmm. you. I'm just walking down the street, and I see Scott run crossing the, the light to go cop. Like, he had parked his car up above 6th Street and was going to cop. I was like, buddy, buddy, dude, where are you going? Where are you going? Hold on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because I knew if I could latch on to him, this is going to be a good ride. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it was. And, uh, (laughs) but then he went back to fabulous land that he came from and I was still there. Right. I remember Mm -hmm. Danita came by one time and I was just like, Oh, could I borrow 20 bucks? And she goes, borrow or have. 
And I was like, I guess have. Can I have? I love that. Don't you love that term, Chuck? Borrow or have? Well, we are always lying about borrowing money or borrowing a cigarette. We never give a cigarette back. We smoke it. <laughs> yeah. Can I borrow a cigarette? Hey, let me bum a that smoke. A good one. All right. Well, so um, and God bless Charlie Watts. I want I, I don't know about you guys. What song did you listen to today? I listened to weirdest song that he plays the greatest drums on. And no one I'm sure no one in Stone's Land listened to it today. But on It's Only Rock and Roll, they do uh, Ain't Too Proud to Beg. And the drums are fucking amazing. Yeah, I know so. you're going to leave me, bum, bum, refuse to let you go. Uh, whatever, whatever you're doing today, put on a Charlie Watts drum beat. Wild Horses was the one, man, for me. Boom, boom, boom. So every time he played, he played what the song needed. You know, and drummers just don't do that every day, man. They play what they want to play. Neil Pert, Neil Pert did not do that. Neil Pert did not do that. Uh, <laughs> Him and yeah. Ringo fit the songs. There was a lot of pictures of Charlie and Ringo online today, and I was thinking, are they trying to say he's next? Come on now, because Charlie Ringo's older than Charlie Watts. All right, you guys. Good night. Listen to some stuff. See you next get time. Get well, Bobby. Bye, Don't die, die everybody. Bye, Listen, bye. I hope you got something out of this. Bye, everybody. Don't die. Don't die. Bye, Chuck. Bye, Mike.